0: and as we read, remember, we are reading the Word of God. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord Whose trust is the Lord? He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This is God's Word. You can have a seat. My great-great-great-great-grandfather, James Milligan, was born in Scotland in 1785, just months before his father's death. Growing up without a father was hard, but his mother Margaret had exceptional strength. Years later, James wrote, she used often to tell me I had no earthly father, but must look to a heavenly father for my help and care. I have often thought that this lesson, steeped in widow's tears, did me more good than any care an earthly father could have exercised over me. James grew up and immigrated to America, where he started and pastored a number of Reformed Presbyterian churches. He preached the gospel, prayed deeply, argued fearlessly to abolish slavery, and raised four godly sons. One of his sons, my great-great-great-grandfather, John Calvin Knox Milligan, was a tender and courageous man. He pastored and planted a church, trained young men in seminary, and assisted escaped slaves by way of the Underground Railroad. His convictions were strong, and his anti-slavery sermons twice got him mobbed in New York City. Faithful generations followed, and the gospel was passed down. I don't remember many details of my early spiritual life, but I vividly remember my mom, a Milligan descendant, teaching me this song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, on Christ the solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Those are my roots. In March 1980, a 30-year-old commercial real estate broker who was far from God asked some friends if he could tag along to their Bible study. There, Tom Schrader heard the gospel, surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Soon he began teaching Bible studies and Sunday school classes. In 1991, with a faithful group of friends, Tom founded East Valley Bible Church. They took God seriously, but not themselves. The church grew strong. Many people came to faith in Christ. They got land. They built a campus. That's been a gospel outpost that's flourished for almost 20 years. Tom always said his vision was to be an influence beyond our campus and beyond our generation. So they passed it on. They taught the Bible. They invested in students. They trained men. They planted churches. One of them was Redemption Gateway. Those are our roots. These roots gave us a strong start. Redemption Gateway has thrived over these last five years. We've seen many people find new life in Jesus. We've also seen longtime Christians be rejuvenated by the gospel. Through our congregation, many have found true community and friendship. Hundreds of children and students come every week to receive love and hear about Jesus. God is moving among us, and it's a lot of fun. Now it's our turn to lay down roots. Some of us come from long lines of faithfulness. Many others, like Tom, are writing a new story of faith for generations to come. of faithfulness. We are passing it on. In just a few years, this dirt will look pretty much like it looks now, just dirt. But in a few generations, this dirt will be a gospel outpost where good news will be preached and slaves to sin will be set free. Men will be trained and thousands will sing about the solid rock of Jesus Christ. This is our time. This is our turn. It's time to lay down roots. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's time to lay down roots. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors. Thank you so much. Uh, for being with us for this series. Uh, We're really thrilled about what God is going to do in our lives and through you uh, to lay down roots. You know, we've been talking uh, and and preparing you that what this series is about is that we want to lay down roots in this community for the glory of God and for the good of people everywhere. And that's what we want to do. And uh, as you think about kind of roots, uh, specifically kind of the roots of a tree, think just for a moment, what do roots do? It's not really that hard, so I didn't mean to make it sound like a tricky question or anything, but, but one thing roots do is they provide stability, right? Stability, especially in the midst of a storm, in the midst of difficulty, roots help a tree stand firm. Roots help a tree stay strong. It's the other big thing roots do. They provide nourishment, provide food, they provide energy and resources to help the tree be healthy and strong. And grow, and in the same way, what we want to do is we want to be a gospel outpost, a, a place in this community where the roots are deep, where there's strength, where there's nourishment, so that people all over our community can experience the goodness and grace of God through our ministry and the legacy that we leave. And as they said in that video, in a few years when this uh, land is paid for, and uh, we maybe someday begin to build on it, it won't look too different. But in a few generations, it's going to be a huge. Huge deal. So that's what we're going to be talking about throughout this uh, series, and I'm really glad that, that you're here for it. Go ahead and reach under your seat if you haven't already, and you've got some, uh, some printed pieces there under your seat. I just want to uh, draw your attention to these, uh, make sure you kind of understand uh, what you've got there in your hand. The first thing I want you to grab is this, this bigger kind of hexagon uh, piece, and uh, you can open that up. I hope you'll read the letter uh, from me uh, later and uh, hopefully just get a little bit of our heart there. But as you open that up all the way, um, you see some things. As you look kind of on the left, you see the story so far. You see that in the last five years, God has has done some really remarkable things in this church. We've grown quite a bit numerically as well as spiritually. And you can read some quotes there about uh, people just saying, here's how God has has been at work in my life. I love the last one there uh, by Dave, that bottom quote. Through redemption, God is putting to death my bent toward building a life around my own comfort. What a great thing. And that's really about what God is doing. It's not really about what Gateway is doing. We're just an agent. We're just a tool, uh, just like that land and eventually someday a building. We'll just be a tool, but this is the work that God Is And we think it'll matter in 100 years. If you look kind of at that center thing, I did a message about a month ago explaining a a number of reasons why this really matters. The first one is that Jesus is the only name that saves. All of us, right, every man dies, right, uh, is what William Wallace said. Every one of us die, right? The statistics on death are impressive. And all of us will stand before Jesus when that happens. And those who are in Christ will have eternal life. Those who are not will not see eternal life. There's a lot at stake. Jesus is the only name that saves. Life's short, eternity's long. Too many people don't know him. This matters because someday soon our kids take over, right? And we want to hand them something that matters and that's meaningful. Uh, we, We think that having land provides stability for generations to come, that no matter how the culture changes, we'll have some property, and that means something so matter in 100 years and as we begin to, to, to help reproduce through, through this area and beyond healthy, strong grace-driven churches. Uh, and so what this effort's going to be about, and I just want to give you a preview here, is, is that thing on the right. We want to invite you to sink roots with us. We want to invite you, and this is for those of you, by the way, that would call this your church home. If you're a guest with us, or if you're just kicking the tires, I, I don't have any expectation that you would necessarily do these things. It'd be great if you want to, but, but we don't expect that. But for those of you who are, this is your church home, we, we want to call you to sink roots with us, to join us in prayer. Praying for our neighbors and our community and for the glory of God to go forward, we want you to be involved we 'd love you to have some uh, way that you 're tangibly engaged in the ministry of our church and then to give generously and that 's a significant part of this project as well so uh, that 's what we 'll be kind of uh, inviting you into over these next few weeks and uh, we want to to just kind of give you a heads up on what that 's going to be about. I also would encourage you if you want to uh, on the back you can see a, a a reference to this, go to gatewayroots.com and uh, we've got a website there with a lot of different content and frequently asked questions and other things that you might be particularly uh, interested in uh, for this. So uh, just to be clear, in case you haven't put it quite together yet, we, we've purchased 10 and a half acres uh, of land right next door. I, I say we've purchased, what I mean is we've signed a contract on it. Let me show you the, the picture of kind of where this is. So just directly west of our building, 10 and a half acres. We've signed the contract. We're uh, going to be closing here in probably the next few months. And uh, we're kind of in, in that process. Uh, so we've secured that. Um, and, and the goal for this particular campaign financially is to pay for that land. After this, we'll someday, you know, in a couple years, begin to put together construction plans and begin to figure out how that, you know, what we'll actually build there. But for roots, we're talking about this land, this property. That's why it's really focused on a future-oriented thing. It's going to take some faith to be involved in this because it's not going to feel real tangible. It's not going to feel real like, ooh, I I, I know how that's going to help me now. The instant gratification part in all of us is going to struggle a bit with this, but, but, but we're going to lay down roots for a future cause. Now, just so you know, the, the financial part of it, and again, I just want to be as upfront as I can. Uh, we want to just share with you what that is. Uh, the, the total cost of purchasing the land uh, comes in at basically $1.25 million. Uh, you've already given over $200,000 to that just based on the surplus of giving you gave last year. So thank you and congratulations. Way to go. You didn't even know that you did that, but awesome. What remains is $1.05 million. $1.05 million. We'll talk about this much more in depth next week, but I, but I just want you to be praying about and be ready for the idea that if this is your church home, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you to be part of it. I'm gonna invite you to invest significantly, above and beyond what you would normally give uh, to be part of that project. What of the other things you had there uh, underneath your chair is this, uh, this kind of folded deal. It almost looks like our, like our program, uh, but this is, a, this is a commitment card I'm not asking anyone to make a commitment today at all. Uh, I'll, I'll show you actually some some key dates here if you want to take a look at this. Um, just some key dates of things that are happening. April 13th is the last weekend of our series, and that's the day when, when we'll ask you to make a commitment. We just wanted to give you this card so you could begin to think about it and pray about it. And uh, you just sort of be ready for that. So some, some key dates coming this week, obviously Roots of Trust. Uh, we'll look at generosity next week, talk really in-depth about the financial side of this project and, and what God's calling us to there. Um, we'll look at ownership. April 6th will be really fun. We're going to invite some food trucks in. And uh, so after the service, you don't have to go anywhere to go to lunch, you can just go right outside, we'll have food trucks, a couple different ones, and then on the land, we'll actually have some spaces set up where you can, with your family if you want to, do kind of a prayer walk of that land and pray for some specific things. I've been walking the land a little bit and praying, if you ever drive by and see some weirdo out there just walking around, that's me, and uh, we'll give you a chance to to be weird with me. And so uh, that'll be April 6th, and then April 13th, again, is that day when we'll invite you to... To be able to participate and, and to make a commitment. Now, you may be going, gosh, are we going to talk about the, like, land and money for four weeks? Like, what is there to, really? Like, I think I got it. You gave me a brochure. I don't know what, I, four weeks of this? And the answer to that, mercifully, is no. No, that's not what we're talking about. But But if we're going to talk about laying down roots that provide strength and nourishment for this community, just owning a piece of land doesn't necessarily do that. We want to be a certain kind of people, a certain kind of people that as they experience our church, they see God in and through us. And a lot of people, I hope you know this, a lot of people who don't normally go to church are here. We did a survey just a few weeks ago. Many of you were gracious to participate in that. And one of the questions on that survey was, in the three years previous to attending Gateway, did you attend church somewhere? And if so, where? You know how many people said they did not attend church previously before Gateway? 19%. That means if you just look down your row and you count five people, one of them didn't go to church before they came here. I, I'm i amazed by that. I think that's wonderful. I think that's really encouraging. I think that means that people are seeing this is a place where or I can invite friends, and in fact, you are seeing that, because one of the other questions on that survey was, how many uh, times have have you invited someone in the last year who doesn't normally attend church, right? A lot of times it's easy to go, oh, you go to that church, why don't you try mine? But we're talking about inviting someone that doesn't go anywhere. Much more uh, potentially difficult ask at times, but here's how many of you did that. 68%, (laughs) almost seven out of 10 of you did that. And I want to thank you for that. That's an incredible thing. Almost 30% of you invited three or more people. And so the the question is, when, when a person that doesn't normally come to church comes, or when you invite a friend to come, or for those of you who are guests today, you're here. What would we hope you'd experience? I'd hope you'd experience the kinds of things that we're going to talk about over the course of this series. When you think about what are the things that you want to pass on to the next generation, what are the th- what's the legacy you want to leave to your kids, it's not just a piece of property, it's some qualitative things, some substance things, and that's what we're talking about in this series. So we're going to dig into the first one, it's here in uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 17, because here's the thing, this community doesn't need a church with land, get that? There are a lot of churches with land. This church needs a strong, grace-driven church with land. That's what they need. And we're not going to be the only one, but we're going to be one, and we want to play our part. So Jeremiah 17, hopefully you are already there in your Bible, or if not, turn back there. Um, Jeremiah is a prophet. He's writing to the people of Judah. And uh, the people of Judah at this time are very faithless. The kings that they have have led them into uh, worshiping idols and turning away from the one true God, and they are really disobedient. And Jeremiah's message is basically, repent, stop it, turn around, life is better with God. And they all are ignoring him. He's been called the crying prophet because he basically, just everyone just says no to him all the time, but he keeps going and he keeps, he keeps trying and in Jeremiah 17, verses 6 and 8, he describes the, the, the way that two different people experience life. Chapter 6 describes one way. Chapter 8 describes another. Here's the description in, chapter, in verse 6. He is, this is person 1. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So here's what one person looks like. One person looks like a shrub. How's that look? Now listen, some of you are like crazy and you think, I love Arizona desert beauty. Isn't the desert? No, the desert's not pretty. It looks like that, right? That thing is... Like 17 minutes away from becoming a tumbleweed rolling across the street and getting stuck in the grill of your car. That is miserable, right? <laughs> that's a shrub. It's a shrub in parched ground. It's a shrub with without very much strength, not bearing fruit, right? That, that's exactly what's described here. Like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. And a lot of the desert, especially of of ancient Israel, and even today, if you go by the Dead Sea, I mean, the the salt and mineral content is remarkable, and very few things grow. It's a picture of parched thirst, desolation. That's one person, Jeremiah says. But then verse 8 tells us about another person. Look at verse 8. Person 2 is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So person one looks like a shrub. Person two looks like this tree. Now, you may look at that tree and go, uh, you had to have taken that picture from Georgia or... Ohio or somewhere like that. You know where that tree is? That's a sycamore tree that's in the city of Jericho, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. So same kind of climate, but this tree, scientists have have studied this tree, and it's over 2,000 years old. You can go there and see it. Some people uh, speculate that perhaps this was the tree or one like this that, that Zacchaeus Climbed up into, right? The wee little man, you know, got up so he could see the Lord. And if, you know, flannel graph, if you grew up in Sunday school, you get that if you don't. Praise the Lord, your God. You didn't have to experience flannel graph. But anyway, th- th- it would be this kind of a, this kind of a thing. 2,000-year-old tree. So one person's a shrub, parched, thirsty, fruitless. The other person is an enduring <laughs> strong tree. Notice the language of verse 8. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, Now here's something that's really important about this difference, okay? Jeremiah is not saying the shrub person experiences heat and drought, and pain, and therefore shrivels up, but the tree person only experiences blessing and never has any pain or difficulty. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is both plants, both kinds of people experience heat. Both kinds of people experience desert. Both kinds of people experience drought. And one withers and dies and eventually ends up on the hood of your car. And the other lasts for 2,000 years. So get that? Jeremiah is not saying that there are people for whom pain won't come, that there are people for whom the drought and the heat of life won't get turned up. No, no, no. He's saying the difference is going to be one person's going to experience death from it, one other person's going to experience life and fruitfulness and green leaves that stay strong. Now, if you hear that and you go, This feels like that AT&T commercial. Which would you prefer? (laughs) Shrub or tree, right? I mean, that doesn't seem like a difficult question. We'd all like to be the tree. We'd all like to be able to endure pain and stay strong. We'd all like to be able to bear fruit that would last for generations to come. We'd all like that. The question is, where does it come from? What makes one person the shrub and one person the tree? Well, Jeremiah tells us that too. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 explains the shrub. Here's the person who ends up like a shrub. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Why does the person end up like a shrub? Why do they end up fruitless? It's because their trust is in man. Now here's a definition of trust, just to make sure we understand what this word means. Trust here means to rely on, to put confidence in. It sometimes can be translated faith, but this Hebrew word in particular doesn't have with it the idea of just believing, like intellectually agreeing to something, but actually of hoping in something, of leaning on something, of relying on something, right? You are relying right now on your chair. You're you're sitting on it. It's bearing your full weight. There's a sense in which you're trusting that chair to hold you up. And and Jeremiah says, the person who ends up like a shrub is the person who leans on, who sits into, who trusts, relies on man and makes flesh his strength. In other words, it's just what I can do, what I can muscle up. By the way, this is so much of what the world's religions are about is what can I do to be good? What can I do to to earn God's favor? Where does that lead? It leads you to be a dried-up shrub. The person who ends up like a tree, what what are they like? Verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts, same word, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. So so blessed is the man who doesn't trust or lean on or rely on men and his own power and his own arm and his own strength, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, in Yahweh, the God of Israel. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And then I love this. It's not that this person just trusts in the Lord. It says, whose trust is the Lord. So trusting the Lord is not just something this person does. But but the Lord is the person upon whom this person sits, leans on, relies on, hopes in. See, everyone is trusting something. Everyone's relying on something. Everyone is hoping in something. Whether you consider yourself a religious person or an irreligious person or you used to be religious and now you're not, everyone is relying on something. Here's how Tim Keller describes it in an article I found really helpful. He says this, everyone has to live for something, something that we think will give us a sense of significance and satisfaction. We all then have a bottom line, an ultimate value by which we sort through all the activities of life and set priorities. Maybe career, possessions, appearance, romance, peer groups, achievement good causes, moral character, religion, marriage, children, friendships, or a combination of several. Without this bottom line, our life would be completely meaningless. We all have this. Right? For some, it's if I can just raise kids that make the honor roll. Right? For others of us, it's if I can just raise kids that don't murder anyone. Right? Like, then I'd be okay right? Then I'd know, like, my life counted for something, right? For for some single people, it's going, if I could just find the person I could spend the rest of my life with. For some married people, it's going, if I could just have this marriage be happy. For other married people, it's like, if I could just have this marriage be over. That's not a preferred one, but some people think that way, right? Uh, for... Right? And you just go on and on. It, it, it can be in your work. If I could just get this kind of a job, if I could just get a, an entrance into this field, if I, could just, if I could just blank. That's what you're hoping in. I want to share an example of a, a prophet, Rocky Balboa. <laughs> this is from the first Rocky movie. Here's what Rocky had to say. You know, he he was gonna fight Apollo Creed and he'd been walking around the arena and kinda thinking about everything and he gets back and get back home to Adrian and they're talking. I was thinking (laughs) I won't do the whole quote that way, but it'd be fun. Here's what Rocky said. I was thinking, really don't matter if I lose this fight. Really don't matter if this guy opens my head either. Because all I want to do is go the distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. What was Rocky's bottom line? I just got to go the distance. And then I'll know I'm not a bum. Every one of us has a bottom line. I just got it. This and, and, and here's the deal: apart from the grace of God, all of our bottom lines are about us and what we can achieve, and therefore, all of our bottom lines are being the man who trusts in man, whose strength is in the flesh. Here's what I can do to raise my kids. Here's what I can do to have my job. Here's what I can do to get in better shape. Here's what I can do to leave a legacy. Here's what I can, I can, I can, I can. And what happens to that is life is difficult, and life is painful, and life will attack that, and it will crumble because it's in your strength, which is why you end up, apart from the grace of God, like a shrub parched and withered, beaten up by the reality of life. But faith, this trust, is the thing that allows you to flourish even when life is difficult. Why'd God set it up this way? Notice it doesn't say, blessed is the man who obeys the Lord, though obedience, I suppose, is part of trust. Or blessed is the man who learns a lot about the Lord, though knowledge is great. Why trust? In fact, why is it that Jesus only marvels at one thing, and it's trust? There's all these places, if you read the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's all these places where people encounter Jesus. They see his miracles, they hear his teaching, and it says they marveled. But there's only a few places where it says that Jesus marveled. There's something that Jesus, when he sees it, he goes, wow. You know what it is? Trust Let me show you just a couple examples. There's a place in the book of Luke when there 's a Roman centurion. A centurion 's a man who oversees a, an army. Uh, oversees 100 guys, and, and he has a servant who's sick, and he sends off to have Jesus heal this servant. And most of the time, when people wanted Jesus to, to heal them, that he would say, hey, Jesus, come and lay hands on him or do something like that. And this man comes at, to Jesus, and he says, hey, you don't even need to come over. Just say the words, and I know that you'll heal my servant because you have that kind of authority and power. And it says this, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. On the flip side, the other thing Jesus marvels at is when there's a lack of faith, when there's a lack of trust. Right? He goes to his hometown, goes to Nazareth. And they're like, isn't this, isn't this Joe's kid? I went to high school with that guy. He wasn't even voted most likely to be Messiah. I don't buy it, which that's amazing, by the way. Don't you think everyone would have thought, oh, yeah, there's that weird Jesus guy. I always thought he was going to, but they don't. They're like, I don't know. It's amazing. They don't believe, and here's what Jesus, here's what it says. And he marveled because of their unbelief, their lack of trust. Why is it that God would set it up this way, that trust is the key thing? Why is it that when Jesus would see trust or the lack of it, he would marvel? Why is that? Well, you know the reason why that is. It's because trust is the centerpiece of every great relationship. Every great relationship, there's an abundance of trust. Every frayed and broken and breaking relationship, trust is frayed and broken and breaking. Right? No one ever is like, man this guy's my best friend in the world. I don't trust him a lick. No one says that because that's not ever what happens. And see, what God is about is about having a relationship with us. He's not interested in enlisting us in religion, enlisting us in rules, enlisting us in a bunch of systems and forms. He's interested in bringing relationship to us. Right? Listen to this. God wanted a personal relationship with us so badly that he didn't just send an idea, he sent a person. He sent himself. Because he wants a relationship with us. He wants us to trust him. And so as our trust in God grows, our relationship with God deepens. You want to have deep roots? You want to pass on a legacy that matters for years to come? You got to trust God. But, but let's be honest for a minute. It's hard to trust God, isn't it? It's hard. I mean, it, it's easier in environments like this, and the music, and the, you know, there's some motivation, and there's always, it's like, yes, that's right, I want to trust God. But when you get out of here, it's hard. Tomorrow morning, it's hard. Thursday afternoon, it's hard. On Facebook this week, I kind of just wrote a question, and and a number of people answered it. I said, when do you find it most difficult to trust God? And here are some answers that people wrote. One person said, I find it hard to trust God when work, finances, family, academics, and relationships are crumbling all at the same time. Another person said, when an answer from him takes a long time to come. I'm praying, I'm praying, and God's not answering me. My prayers feel like they just bounce off the ceiling." Next person said, when our bank account is overdrawn and we have another week to go until payday. When there's more month than money, it's hard to trust God. Another person said, my kid's safety. I'm fearful of all the things that could cause death and trusting God's plan for their lives. Another person said, when I contemplate the staggering levels of suffering in this world. See, it's not just our suffering, but you look around and you go, the world is plagued with all kinds of awful suffering. See, the world is plagued with heat and plagued with drought. And when those things turn up, it's hard to trust God. Even when it's good, it's hard to trust God. Here's what one person said, when things are going great, when do you have a hard time trusting God? When things are going great. My tendency is to think it's because of me, so it takes extra effort to remember it's God. God. See, life is tough enough and situations are bad enough that it is hard to trust God. Amen? That's difficult. And so, so it raises a question, can you trust God? And I would ask it sort of two ways. One way would be, can you trust God? The other way I'd ask it is, can you trust God? If all this is going on, if all of this pain, if all of this uncertainty, if all of this heat, and if all of this drought is happening in our lives, can we trust God? Can you trust God? Well, the answer from the scriptures is yes. You can trust God, and you can be the kind of person that even when the heat comes, even when the drought picks up, you're fruitful. How do you know you can trust God? Well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to say that. Well, listen. The reason I can say that is because we've just spent eight weeks studying a glorious chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. We looked at it last week. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Think about that for a moment. If God is for you, who could be against you? You know, well, how do you know that God's for you? I mean, that's a little presumptuous. That's a little kind of arrogant to say God's for you. God's on your side. How do you know that God's for you? Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, here's how you know you can trust God is because God got involved in the mess. God created us. He created us in his image. We turned from him. We rejected him. We loved the created things rather than the creator. That's why we experience so much difficulty is because our hearts are idol factories that just sort of worship whatever we can and as a result our hearts and our lives and our world is fragmented and fractured and broken. And God was not content to leave us there. He got involved. He moved in. In the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus begins to undo all that's fractured. Right. That's why Jesus is doing miracles. It's not just to sort of go, wow, look at how powerful I am. It's to say, this is a picture of what I do. I raise the dead. I heal the sick. And it's a preview. It's a foretaste of what life is like with me as king. And Jesus lives the perfectly obedient life. And Jesus dies in our place on the cross. All of the things that we did to ignore God, to, to worship other things than God, made it where we deserve death. And instead, Jesus Christ takes it. God doesn't spare His own Son, but gives Him up for us. The sinless sacrifice for our sin. And then Jesus raises, victorious over Satan's sin and death. And if we will trust him, get this, not if we'll obey him, not if we'll know a lot about him, if we will trust him, he will forgive our sins, he will bring us into relationship with him. How do you know God's trustworthy? Because he did all that for you. And so then the whole reason we continue to exist as a church, the whole thing that we're trying to do with one another is to help one another trust God more. See, we say it this way in our our church, and and maybe you've never thought about it in this lens, but when we say all of life is all for Jesus, what we're saying is that we want to be people who trust God with all of our life. It's all going to be about trust. See, what happens is we go, well, I trust God with the salvation Slice. Because he seems like he's kind of in the business of forgiving sin and making it where people can be, you know, saved. I'll trust him with that. But my job, my kids, my leisure, and everything, else, I don't know. I'm going to hold on to that. And, and the process of spiritual growth, the process of growing into relationship with God is to have that slice that you trust Him with be bigger and bigger and bigger until it's everything. I don't think any one of us are there. I'm not there. But that's why we do this. That's why we're in this. That's why we want to be a people who are encouraging one another to trust God. That's why when you gather this week in your redemption communities and and you've got questions in the program that you guys can interact with and all of that is designed to help you encourage one another to trust God more. See, growing faith isn't about intellect or knowledge or even just sort of dry, cold obedience. It's about more. Here's what Andy Stanley says about this. He says, Bible knowledge alone will make you proud. Obedience alone will make you judgmental. Trust makes you dependent. And get this, if you know me at all, you know that I love pursuing Bible knowledge. And obedience really matters. But trust is what it's about. Trust is what makes you dependent. Some of you go, I don't want to be dependent on anybody. Okay, then you're going to be a shrub. Because eventually the heat's going to turn up just enough and you're not going to handle it. And you're going to have nowhere to turn because you're relying on your own strength and I can't, I'm not going to depend on anybody. Okay? But for those of us who are willing to go, I'm going to acknowledge that I need a savior and I need a king. And his name is Jesus. We'll still face the heat. We'll still face the pressure. But in the midst of that, we will bear fruit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have given us in Christ an opportunity to to trust you and to build relationship with you, to get to know you. God, for those who are here today, who are just on the, the beginning a part of that journey, I pray that you would allow them to trust you more as a result of today. God, for those who would already say that they do trust you, thank you for that. And, and I pray that they would trust you more as a result of today. God, we want to be people who are like a tree planted by water, with deep roots and green leaves and bearing fruit for generations to come. So God, as we look ahead at at this Roots project, as we even think about what it will look like to invest uh, money to pursue this land, God, I pray that it wouldn't even be about the money or about the land, but that it would be about our trusting you and deepening that relationship. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, all right. Well, we're gonna take some time now and respond.